Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Alicia Smart. Dr. Smart is an entrepreneur and psychologist who serves as a clinical director at DBT Center of Marin. She's also the co-founder of Therapy Layer, a technology-assisted DBT phone coaching service, and TheraHive, a blended learning online psychoeducational program. She is Linehan board certified in DBT and intensively trained in RODBT. Today, we talk about radically open DBT, an effective treatment modality designed to treat emotional loneliness and over-controlled emotions. Welcome, Dr. Smart. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to talking about RODBT. Yes. And and you are kind of someone who focuses on DBT and radically open, which is RODBT. And so I'm looking forward to learning a bit more about RODBT. But I think maybe just for the listener, just a brief summary of what DBT is first, just so people are aware of what that is. Yeah. So it's actually a great segue to explain both of them simultaneously, because if you think about emotion being on a spectrum and on one end, we have kind of like under control of our emotions. We may have big emotions and we have a hard time containing them and we may be impulsive and reactive and may struggle with substance use or binging eating or other things. DBT is actually a great treatment for that. So the under-controlled type, the people who find themselves like at the mercy of these big, intense emotions, and sometimes they're like, oh, there's a tsunami coming in and it's crushing me and I don't know how to control this. Regular DBT is really helpful. It teaches skills for managing intense emotion, for bringing the intensity down, for being more effective. And so that's kind of in a nutshell what DBT is for. So bipolar, anxiety and depression, BPD, those kinds of things, DBT can be really great for. And BPD so, is um, borderline personality disorder. Yes. So BPD stands for borderline personality disorder. So on the other side of the continuum, we have more restricted, over-controlled emotional expression. And so that might be when you're masking your feelings, everything gets shut down internally. You're like pushing the emotions down and you actually have a hard time maybe even knowing what you're feeling or expressing genuine vulnerable emotions. And so this can lead to problems of over-control, which actually can lead to depression, more chronic depression that's really hard to treat. So treatment-resistant depression, some perfectionism and anxiety, particularly in social situations anorexia, and so other disorders of over-control like OCPD, which is obsessive personality disorder. So those are kind of the differences on a broad scale. And similarly, the DBT piece is that both therapies are dialectical in nature. And what dialectic means is we're holding two things to be true simultaneously. So oftentimes in DBT, we talk about acceptance and change. In RODBT, we're looking at the fact that we might not know everything. And there's more of a kind of like getting curious about, hmm, maybe there could be another way of looking at this or other perspectives. So getting away from rigid thinking or black and white thinking, both of them hold that element. 
and both are behavioral. So that's the similarity, but very different. So if we focus on radically open RODBT, what would maybe be a typical reason why people would gravitate towards this type of therapy? What would they come in? What would their needs be in terms of wanting to change? Yeah. So typically they may be suffering socially. Maybe they're getting feedback from their partners that they're not emotionally available, or they may be feeling intense emotional loneliness, or they might be struggling with thoughts of suicide. And just feeling like a lack of connection, like maybe a sense of like, I don't belong anywhere. I don't feel like I'm in tribe or, you know, that they're kind of like an outsider. And so oftentimes depression will bring them in or they may get referred if they're having perfectionistic or anorexic behavior, just, you know, a psychiatrist or other provider might refer them. But typically they're really struggling, but they're kind of more silent struggling. That's just a harder piece that sometimes because they're over-controlled and they feel like I have to have everything together all the time, it sometimes is a little bit harder for them to seek treatment. Got it. So how do you start treatment? What what happens with the process? Yeah. So the way we start treatment is to first assess to see, okay, do you identify as being over-controlled? And so this term over-controlled is really kind of almost in a way, it's like we got too much of a good thing because our society actually teaches us you know, from a very young age, we need to be able to sit still, we need to be able to do homework, we need to achieve, we need to do this, right? And so being able to manage your emotions and keep yourself regulated and in control can be, you know, uh, highly rewarded by society. That helps us build rocket ships and like get things done. But there's another piece that when you have that kind of coping strategy or that becomes the predominant way of being, we lose our ability to relax and to have fun and be playful and even allow for silliness. And those kinds of things can feel very threatening. So actually, maybe I'll talk about the neurobiology piece a little bit because people who find themselves to be over-controlled temperamentally often are at a young age kind of highly sensitive to threat. And so they're kind of walking around already with a little bit of threat sensitivity. And they may have also a low reward sensitivity, meaning like they don't get excited very easily. Like they're not like, woohoo, like about things. So with those two combinations, and then this great ability to control and be very disciplined, right? So you got this kind of makeup. And then the nature or nurture part is that they've gotten the message that on some level, mistakes are not to be tolerated. And that self-control is imperative, that you always have to be prepared. So these kind of messaging to like control, keep it together, you gotta be always thriving and achieving. So that combination leads to this masking of emotion or aloof and distant social signaling. And so how we, first we identified, did this client resonate with that? Like, do they actually see themselves in that makeup? Are they like, oh, yeah, that's me. You know, as a kid, I was kind of more, you know, I wasn't the big and dramatic type. I was a little more shy and maybe a little more on the outside. And I, yeah, I got straight A's. And that, that type might be an indicator of like, okay, maybe there's some over-controlled here. So there's also assessment forms we would give out and measurements to make sure. But usually as we talk about it, like, oh, were you the dramatic 
excited kid or were you more like kind of on the outside and not really feeling like you fit in and feeling a little bit different? And then usually that indicates, okay, maybe there's some over control happening. Got it. So assessment and basically you identify that as a trait, basically. Yes. Then how do you move from there? So how we would get started once you're like in the treatment would be there's individual therapy and then there's skills group. And so where when you're in the skills group, that's where you're kind of actually connecting and practicing some of the things. So it's a combination of practicing in tribe because there's already a joining element of like, okay, we're all OC. You know, and so there's this commonality, even if you have very different people in the group of like, oh, yeah, we all identify as OC and we're all over controlled. And so we need this is something we're working on together. And there's a lot of actual play that happens in the RO group. So encouraging. There's a skill that we kind of throw in called participation without planning, where we might get up and do a little crazy dance or be silly or do something. And and sometimes it can be like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. But we do it really short. And it's almost like a brief exposure, you know, to just get out of our comfort zone for a second. But then we're all returning, right? And practicing outing ourselves and other skills. So that's one piece. And then there's the individual therapy, which is more about targeting the core deficit of over-control. So we identify four core deficits. And one of them is the ability to flexibly respond. So often with OC individuals, they may be very rigid or have a compulsive need for structure and order to the point where it can get in the way of both their social relationships or their own mental well-being because things have to be done a certain way. So there's that piece. There's also being able to be more open. So open to new information, open to disconfirming feedback. So just openness in general, like learning to be more open as opposed to immediately rejecting or defensively aroused. Third one is emotional expression. So learning to be actually having genuine emotional expression as opposed to the masking or the shutting down or the kind of hiding one's own internal emotion. And then social connectedness and intimacy being another, you know, how do you get out of this kind of distant way of relating and really be vulnerable? So those are the ones that are targeted in individual therapy. And the way we would target that is to actually have clients start looking at their own social signaling. And they may tell a story about a conversation they had with their therapist and then the response they got and they may model what they did and the therapist can model it back and you kind of give the feedback, you know, mirror the feedback of like, oh, this is, you know, you're saying you were excited, but you were saying it like this. And so even giving that feedback of like, oh, like excitement, you know, it's like eyebrows up and kind of more smiling as opposed to, you know, frowned face or, or not making eye contact. So it almost feels like a social skills training. There's a ton of social skills training that goes on, like in terms of social signaling, like giving the social signaling feedback. Because, I mean, the idea here is to, you know, if you want that, like that connection, we're basically modeling how to, the therapist is modeling how do we develop intimate relationships and social connection. Got it. Right. And I think the people that you're working with really actually do have a desire for this and understanding that this is maybe what they're missing. And so there's this idea of, okay, something I'm doing isn't matching up and I want that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad that you said the the spectrum because 
there just came out recently with another publication to say that RO is actually really good for high functioning people on the spectrum. So like, you know, I think spectrum disorders are the, the next thing that they're starting to do research on. There's been a ton of research on anorexia and clotic depression and some perfectionism and OCPD, but they're just recently starting a spectrum disorders is the other thing that they're starting to see evidence for RO being very effective with. Interesting. Okay. So what's the next, what are kind of other techniques that you, you bring in? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's kind of fun to think about this neurobiology again and activating social safety. So that is a skill that's taught. And I think your you know, listeners might enjoy this one because it's an easy one to just start implementing right away, potentially, because if you think about our threat response, right? So if we're already kind of hardwired a little bit to be threat sensitive and kind of over-controlled, we might naturally interpret novel situations or situations that you know we're not familiar with. Our body might just respond as like, oh, potential threat. And so one skill that we teach is how do we get out of the threat response? Because when we're threat, we tend to be more flat, right? We tend to be more cold and distant, at least in appearance, because we're unsure, like, ooh, danger. And so that's not very helpful for connecting. And so activating social safety, there's a couple of different things you can do to activate your social safety response. And so one of them what he refers to Thomas Winks, the developer, as the big three plus one. And so taking a deep breath, so getting some air in, leaning back and relaxing the body, having a closed mouth cooperative smile. So just kind of softening the face with a smile and then raising our eyebrows. So raising our eyebrows actually indicates that we're curious and interested, and it sends signals to our brain that we're more open, and that can activate our social safety. Let me just make sure I'm kind of wrapping my head around this. So this yeah. idea you're teaching these different social kind of behaviors, right, that will then give feedback to your brain, right, to then actually, and you will truly become, like, it will help with the connectedness just by the behaviors that you're actually incorporating. Right. So we're not getting hung up on like, oh my God, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? But really kind of changing our behavior to change how we feel. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's interesting. I mean, this is an aside, but just the, the active, and he refers to this as an eyebrow wag, the raising of the eyebrows. That actually, you know, when we think about dogs, I mean, this is totally just a side note that I read recently that I thought was fascinating and it's kind of related. That dogs have learned since being with us humans for so long that they now raise their eyebrows over time. And there's something very likable about that, right? So, I mean, this piece around curiosity and interest and social bonding and connectedness, it does make me wonder about like currently with Botox, how that affects people's potential social signaling if they're not able to do that. But yes, yeah, so the eyebrow wag is, is definitely a, a strong social signal of interest and curiosity. So I want to talk about length of treatment, but I, I want to also make sure we've given enough time to kind of the different techniques. Yeah. Yeah. So there's 30 weeks of skills lesson taught. There are 23 skills total, but 30 weeks of the RO group. And so I guess one, another skill that I'd like to talk about because it is such a core skill is self-inquiry. 
So self-inquiry is kind of the heart of radical openness as a, as a whole, because if you think about radical openness, it's really about challenging or a willingness to be wrong. So if you think about over-control, be like, I have to be right, everything has to be a certain way, you know, I'm in this kind of tightness around or rigidity around like things being a certain way or needing to be a certain way or feeling that mistakes are intolerable. Radical openness is this idea of like, we're actually trying to have a willingness to be wrong and a willingness to not assume that we know everything. Like we, we don't know what we don't know. And so almost becoming excited <laughs> and curious about our own resistance and our own closeness and not judging ourselves for it, but developing the skill of self-inquiry, which is the curiosity of like, what might I need to learn about myself? Like, is there something for me to learn in this moment that I'm finding myself either being defensive or shut down or closed? And what what is here for me to grow? Like this could be a growth edge as opposed to, ooh, there's something wrong with me and I'm you know, not fixable or I'm defective or whatever this narrative might be that's getting in the way, but to have you know, a curious stance. And also with that example, I kind of think about why people sometimes go into therapy and oftentimes it's a partner who might say, you know, you're, you have a really hard time accepting that you don't know everything or it's kind of that rigidity is causes problems in the relationship. And so I guess actually one question sort of unrelated has to do with, with any therapy, your client needs to be invested and have a desire to change. How much of that do you actually need for RODBT? You know, it's interesting when we've done the assessments and people kind of identify, oh, I'm over control. Like, oh my gosh, this is me. Like, you know, yes, things have to be done a certain way. Yes. Mistakes are not to be tolerated. Like, and they identify of like, oh, you know, they get kind of actually pretty excited that there is a treatment and that, you know, even identifying like, yeah, I, I don't feel really emotionally, like there's people around me, but I don't feel seen, you know, I don't feel heard. I don't feel understood. And so once they've identified with the over-controlled, most of them get pretty invested in wanting to look at that. But to your point about the couple, we definitely have had people like high conflict couples come in for DBT but then we find that one person in the couple is actually over-controlled. And so that's an interesting mix when you have an under-controlled with an over-controlled individual. And we do see that in our couples. And then sometimes, you know, people who are under-controlled, they really need to learn to control. <laughs> Where the person who's over-controlled needs to be able to express more. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. And you brought up the kind of this feeling isolated, lonely, even though people are around you. Yeah. Right. And I think about people with borderline personality disorder, a big symptom that a lot of people talk about is feeling empty, feeling lonely, feeling not connected. But, and I know that DBT is often used for borderline personality disorder, but this is, feels a little bit different. This is a different kind of loneliness. Yeah, no, because it's, it's a different, because they're not emoting in the same way where people with BPD can actually sometimes form really intense connections really quickly. They just have a hard time holding on to them because they burn them out sometimes with their behaviors, right? And so there's constant fear of abandonment and that intensity, right? Whereas OC might actually be more anxious about letting themselves get fully connected. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And because there's more of avoidance, a 
attachment style possibly sometimes, not always, but there can be that shows up. Right. I think of this as kind of the type of person who would gravitate towards RODBT is someone who just wants more fulfillment out of really, I mean, this is kind of general, but fulfillment out of relationships and feels like they want it. They really want it. They just don't know how to get it. Right. right. It's kind of this idea of like, you know, if you kind of shift a little bit of your behaviors, just a little bit, you might be able to really be able to internalize that the meaningful relationships that you're really not, not getting. Yeah, exactly. I think that the piece around wanting to join, but feeling like the outsider and not knowing how. And so this is a toolbox for how do you join? How do you join the tribe? How do you join the social group and feel connected? Right. Quick question with, because most things are remote at this point, in terms of thinking about during COVID, and I'm sure people will be listening to this hopefully after COVID, but in terms of the virtual world, does that shift how you present these tools to them? Or is it pretty similar? So it's been interesting doing this in a virtual world. And yes, we're doing RO groups virtually. And I think everybody who does RO right now is doing it virtually. Although I hope that in a couple months, we'll be moving toward in-person. Because I think there is something great about being in-person, especially working some of these social skills. But yeah, the only thing I've done differently is I think I might be bigger in my gestures to indicate things. Just because, you know, it gets lost in translation through a computer screen unless you're a little bit bigger in your expression. And so maybe I might be hamming it up more for the camera. Well, those are good schools. I mean, the goal is for your clients to ham it up a little bit more. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Loosen up and ham it up and have a little fun. <laughs> are people ever worried that they're going to go too far in the, the opposite direction? I, it's interesting to say that I did have two clients who kind of expressed that concern and I just reassured them that they had a, they, I would let them know. I would let them know if they'd gone too far. And, you know, because obviously we want to be the dialectic being finding the middle path between too big and dramatic and, and too controlled and, and too rigid and, and stoic. Yeah. This is a question. I, I don't know if you want to answer it or not, but I know you do DBT and you're, do you do RODBT? Is there one that you like better or? Oh boy. Uh, have their own strength. They're so different. You know, I like the balance of them because they, you know, my therapeutic stance and the way I run the session is different. And so it's nice to have the variety. I mean, I love DBT. I've been doing DBT for, you know, 12 years at this point. And it's, it's kind of like, I think of them as life skills. And I think for many people, they're life-saving skills. It's been fun to learn something new. And then also just fun to be more playful. You know, I think that there's a little bit more. I mean, I, I use a lot of humor and irreverence in my DBT session, but I purposely do it in RO in a different way. So. Are all RODBT providers first DBT providers or not necessarily? Oh, not necessarily. Some, I, I definitely, I mean, it's a whole different training. And so it's actually, I mean, if you think about both of them, they, they our foundation is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. But no, you don't have to be trained in DBT to be an RODBT trainer. And you can find them, I'll link to some websites, but they, you can find people who are trained in RODBT. Right. I almost feel that the name should be different. <laughs> maybe. Agree. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the, the radical open needs to be emphasized. Um, and yes, because it, it is a very different treatment, different population it treats. So it's almost thinking of it as like it's opposite, like under control, 
DBT over controlled RODBT. So it's an evidence-based treatment. Any in kind of short info about studies and outcomes and things like that? Yeah. So it's, there's a bunch of studies specifically on anorexia and chronic depression now, and they've shown great effects both from actually skills group alone. So that's different actually from regular DBT. So regular DBT, we always have them you know, in therapy. You can actually get the benefit of RO just from the skills group. Granted, if you do the individual, then you're really kind of honing in on your own personal social signaling. But they found both individual and group or individual and group to be effective. So you definitely want the group. The group is the the place where you're really practicing. Okay. Well, we could talk about this for, for much longer, but I feel like this was probably, for me, I didn't actually came into this not knowing a lot about RODBT. So I'm enlightened. So I appreciate it. And now I kind of get the difference. In terms of like last words to the listener or anything we maybe should have addressed that we didn't, can you think of anything? Hmm. Maybe just like life doesn't need to be taken so seriously, you know, that like it's okay to play. It's okay to relax, um, you know, and that there's joy that can be found in letting go yeah, or loosening up a bit. Sometimes that can be scary for individuals, but that there's actual connectedness that can happen in these places where we allow ourselves to just take a deep breath and raise our eyebrows and relax our body and, and smile and, oh, you know, allow for more connection. I like that. That's a good, that's a good way to end. I think. Okay, great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. So I will make sure that your information is on the website and also on the episode description. So the listener can learn a little bit more about you. I'll include those other resources so they can just read in general, a little bit more about RODBT. And then that actually was helpful for them to find providers that specialize in that. Yeah. And thank you for being thank here. You. All right. Take care. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and nine offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.